thing about my dad is that I've had so it's been so infrequent that I've had a chance to listen to him preach. It's just been a few times, a handful of times actually, because we're often doing stuff on Sundays that are not in the same building. So, um, so this is fun. Thanks for coming, Dad. And Eric already prayed for you. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep praying. Hi, everybody. Well, here's one thing I know. God has a lot more to say to you this morning than I do. Do you believe that? Yeah. And uh, I just love... uh, uh, Wow. Can we just say amen after that imaginative prayer that Chris just led us through and let's just go home? (laughs) That was so rich. So good. Well, listen... um, in tradition, we say, let's pray before I begin to speak. But I'm going to possibly introduce you to a new way of praying. It's an ancient way of praying. It's, um, I think the word that often is associated with this way of praying is uh, recollect. And just think of recollection. And it's basically pulling your attention in away from the many things that have been dragging your attention away in the day-to-day life. So just recollecting and just drawing our focus, our attention um, into his presence before him. So uh, I find closing my eyes helpful if I'm trying to deal with focus and uh, putting distractions to to rest. Why don't we just close our eyes? Perhaps I'll just suggest a few thoughts. We're going to spend a little bit of time waiting on the Lord here, but I'll suggest that, you know, just imagine, you know, we are together. We are a family. We are a body of Christ. But but just think, just literally, we're together. We're in a room, much like this one. And um, let's just silently begin to ask Jesus to come to us this morning as we need them to come to us this morning. The one who, as we sang this morning, renews all things. Perhaps imagine yourself being among or even one of the disciples who at this part of their journey had to have been experiencing I can't even imagine how to describe the emotions. Fear, possibly anxiety, confusion. A a point of just like, I'm just like, what's going on? And they they were hiding. They were in a room. I wouldn't say much like this one, but they were in a room together. And it's within a few days after the one that they had said, you're the son of God, was crucified. And they had no idea that what would suddenly happen not knowing that they were about to see Jesus. I'm just going to read a couple of verses that describe that event. 
On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together. The doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And then Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. Now experience this. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine? Just imagine. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, just in this place where you're at, let's just take a bit to wait on the Lord. And if it helps, be amongst the disciples when this happened, that Jesus spoke those words and then breathed out over them, receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. So come, Lord. I'm going to take a few minutes. Um, I'll be mindful of our time here, but and the other, but I will say I'm not going to race through what I feel that kind of here to share. Um, but I want to introduce you to another practice, and you know we're talking about being conformed into the image of Christ, transformation, and there's lots of practices we can engage in as a means to grace, and um, this one. Hopefully it sounds so simple that it makes sense to you. It's a, it's a wonderful practice. And it's um, just in plain English, it's this. Pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Just be free to do that. No guilt, condemnation. It's just coming into an awareness of what's, what's going on and not what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing, but just through the next... While as I'm sharing, just uh, just be mindful of what you find yourself paying attention to, and um, may grace abound as you do that. So, Lord, help us do that. Be mindful of not only your presence here, but how we are being present to you in the midst of that. I want to talk about freedom this morning. Almost felt like a bit of a William Wallace moment there but I'm you know really that's just like I don't know I'm, I'm thinking about something maybe a little bit richer um, but freedom and I think it's huge absolutely huge and and having us ponder how Christ has brought you into freedom and is bringing all of us into freedom where we are free this this should resonate to freely give away what we have been freely given. Let's ponder what we have been freely given. 
You know, it, it, and that which we have been freely given, we are freely, freely given that away. And the truth I want to leave you with this morning, you walk out of here, is this. God is love. He loves you. He's on your side. He pursues us. He, you know, in Scripture we have this one picture of God running. And guess what he's doing? He's running towards us. We, we see one who is relentless. And he's pursuing us. And it's um, such a crazy picture. So I just want to get us uh, thinking about all of our journeys. And what we have in common is that once we were enslaved to sin. Talked about trapped, enslaved, without power to do anything about it. And we would find ourselves pursuing the impossible project of trying to be good enough to live a good enough life. And it cost us so much energy and angst and time. And, and now through grace you are free from that project. And there's so many ways to express the good news, but just think about that. We're free from the project of trying to fix ourselves, trying to fix others around us. We're free from that project. And through Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter who has been let loose to freely give away what you have been freely given. These are not new ideas or, or pictures, but I just rely on the Holy Spirit to maybe freshly land us in the reality of what is happening. You are a son, you are a daughter of the living king. You are his, and he's let you loose to freely give away what you've been given. And so I want to have us perhaps rethink what it means to be free, to be free from the fear of not having enough, the fear of not being enough to make a real difference in your life. And... This idea of son and daughter is, is, is not just imagery, it's the reality of security. And it's only from that kind of a reality that we can taste a life that really is significant, that really is something beyond who we are. This whole thing of significance and security are so related, but we've got to get them in the right order. It's out of security that we live a life of significance. And so think about how you're free from doing, um, living that old way of life. <clears throat> and I don't need to give you a ton of examples, but I can remind you of how exhausted you were trying to do that. How, it's not that we never worry anymore, but worry was all-consuming. And, and now we've been out of that kingdom into this kingdom of, of, of Christ we have this crazy new kind of life to live in, the, in his kingdom where you can find, and, and here's, here's for me, there's so many, I don't know how many different ways we could explain freedom, but I'm thinking we're free to rest. You think about how, how countercultural that is 
you're actually free to rest. You're actually free to slow down. And I'll, hopefully you'll kind of hit home why I think that's, that's significant because it's, um, yeah, just wait till we get there. And you have permission to invite others into this new way of life, a different way of life, and a culture that doesn't reward that way of life, but it's one that where you experience abundant life as a child that will lead you into living a life that is way beyond yourself. And so where I want to kind of land all of this is that I want to give you a new imagination for what it means to make disciples. And it's loving others in the same way that you have experienced Jesus loving you. Because Jesus says, when they see that, they will know that you are my disciple. And so let's, let's just think about the, the charge to go and give disciples how that is actually a release. That, that is a move into freedom of being who you are. And with your personal experience of his love for you, you share that. You give that away. So let's, um, let's think back to when you realize that the only thing you needed in your life, you came into some kind of awareness. Now, for me, it's easy. I was an adult when this experience happened to me. But I knew I needed rescued. I actually needed a savior. Maybe I didn't have the language, but that's what I was crying out for. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And so just how, whatever early memories you have of that, let's just begin just retracing our journey, quick, not quickly, just retracing it through, beginning in that place of where we realize we need a Savior. And I'm going to just walk us through a scripture. You can turn there if you want. It's in Luke 10, but you're going to remember it as I read it to you. This is one day when an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus and asked him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, good trick, asked him a question to his question. What, what, the question that Jesus asked is, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he responds, well, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and, and he says, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is right. Now go do that. And you will live. And you've heard lots of teaching around this sudden shift. It's like, well, okay, uh, I need to justify my actions. So, so back to Jesus. So who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus now tells him a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, attacked by bandits. And they stripped him of clothes, beat him up, and left him as half dead on the side of the road. Now by chance, a priest comes along. But when he saw the man lying there, he goes to the other side of the road... And he passes him by. And then comes along a temple assistant. 
And he, he walked over, he had a look at this man lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. And then a despised Samaritan. He came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, bandaged him, and then put the, the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And then the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? You can imagine whatever expression you want on his, as he was responding to this. <laughs> it's probably cutting deep, right? Uh, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes. Now you go and do that. So when you think, you're just retracing that story and thinking about that, it all begins with this question, what must I do to inherit life? And then there's a dialogue, and it leads from that question to, to his question again to Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And it, it may be, I think he's thinking, so who's in, who's out? Who, who's in, who's out? And then Jesus, from that place, goes into the story that focuses on a person who's left half dead by the side of the road. The person half dead by the side of the road is someone not able to do anything to save his own life. Right? And then comes along the priest, and being a good priest, a faithful priest responsible priest kept his distance from the person in need. And then comes the Levite keeping his distance from the person that needed help. And by the way at this point of the story no one would have been shocked in hearing this. That would be like yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Then comes a person represented in the parable remember this is a parable as a despised Samaritan and he was the only one free enough to give what was needed to the person that was half dead and notice the way in which the Samaritan person helped he, he stopped he gave his full attention to the wounded person and then he attended to their immediate needs. He generously poured out oil, poured out wine over the wound. He bandaged him. Just think of the details Jesus is giving to the story here. Deferred his own comfort, putting this person on this broken person on his donkey. He carried this broken man to a place where he 
could be brought back to full health. He paid the bill. So what if the answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is answered by Jesus in the way that he answered it? So that every listener, including each one of us, might eventually be drawn to the realization that all of us are that person left for dead on the side of the road. Unable to carry on. What if Jesus was pointing out that religion is not going to save a person broken the side of the road? What if Jesus was wanting his audience to realize that the figure represented by the Samaritan was him? What if Jesus was helping us understand that what all of us are in need of is a Savior who stoops down to touch us, to heal us, to lift us up, carry us on our journey, pay our debts, and returning to reward those who do his will? Parables are so powerful they just Jesus is always just working away through these simple stories but isn't it interesting that this story if there's any story that is probably known throughout the globe it's the story of the good Samaritan isn't that fascinating that the good Samaritan and you've probably heard that one unpacked in different ways but as you know the good Samaritan is that that's that's like code language out out outside of the walls of the church. And isn't that fascinating? And I think it points right to the get-go announcement that Jesus made. And I know Chris preached on this in the fall, but I'll just go back to the Luke 4 text. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. In John 8, familiar passage, Jesus saying to those who believed him, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that, that's, that's a message all in itself, just the, the, just the progression of what Jesus is walking through there in John 8. But then a few verses later in John 8, he unpacks that a bit more, Jesus, by saying that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a daughter, belongs to it forever. And if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this is the rescue. This is the a freedom from something that we were powerless to deal with and we've been set free from that slavery. Paul makes this such a central part of his message and you know in the in Galatians in the 5th chapter he Paul writes it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he says stand firm. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by that yoke of slavery. You know, so this is, so the f- 
freedom is so huge with regards to understand what is this good news, this beautiful gospel, this abundant life that Christ has given us. Stand firm in that. And he shi- Paul shines his light powerfully on this in Romans 8. He says, if you belong to Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And because you belong to him, his life-giving spirit has set you free. What we were waiting on this morning, God breathed on us, receiving his spirit. That's a life-giving, filling spirit that brings freedom. And then Romans 8, I mean, oh my, what a, what a gold mine Romans 8 is. Later on, he says, when you, receive, when you received his spirit, that's the moment that you were adopted as child. And I'm, I bet you Paul spent time thinking, what language really captures this? And he lands on this word adoption. He says, he says you've been adopted, and he says, as his own child, Abba. Like this, this is like so rich and so deep and so real. You did not receive a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. No, now you call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with your spirit to affirm that you are his child. And since you are his child, you are his heirs. So, just thinking about freedom, thinking about no condemnation, you're free. It's not, it's real. You're free, free indeed. You are a child, his daughter, your son. You've received an inheritance. And you get to live a significant kind of life that glorifies God. And so, this freedom, it makes it possible to change our thinking from, well, our thinking, meaning the things we find ourselves paying attention to from am I good enough, deserving enough to God, how do you see me right now as your son? How do you see me right now as your daughter? And let me, let me just look at you and say something to you. He absolutely loves it when you ask him that question and just sit and wait for an answer. How do you see me? Don't try to figure that one out. He wants to, he wants to communicate how he sees you. How, what happens to his heart when he looks at you. That's the freedom. We've now been adopted as his own child. So, okay, so, so the one thing we need was a savior. Thinking about that, and let me just move into this next part here, is one way of thinking about freedom is that you are freed to find rest and to slow down. One of the ways I, I read the whole Exodus story is that the first gift God gave to his rescued people was Sabbath rest. That was a gift. Not only was God retraining his people to stop trying to run their own lives, let alone the universe, I think more importantly, it was his gift to his people to continually remind them that their value is not based on what they do. Their value is no longer based on the number of bricks they made in a day. You've been set free from that kind of life. And it took a lot of training. Rest. He set you free to find rest in your identity as a child. 
You're free to slow down enough. And here's where it lands for me with making disciples. He's freed you to slow down enough to be present to the person in front of you. The person next to you. He slowed, you slow down enough to be present to those around you. And when we live from a place of rest, by slowing down and being present to others, we begin to notice something. This is a guarantee. This is what the Holy Spirit will do. You will find that you will, your love for God will simply increase. And your love for others will take on a new depth and dimension that I think relates to the Samaritan in this parable that stopped and had compassion for the one broken on the side of the road. And we, see, we begin to see brokenness not as a way of labeling one another, not that we do that, but I mean, if there's a shift from labeling to that of compassion. Finding rest and slowing down affects our thinking from am I good enough, deserving enough to once again, God, how are you delighting in me as a child? It's hard to really ponder that question while we're on the fly, multi-spinning plates. So this is not a hedonistic, self-serving thing. This is about abiding in Christ. This is about cultivating deep, deep relationship touching base with the reality and the truth of what happens as, the, as we um, press into this incredible journey that God has set out for us to walk in with him. Just a few other thoughts here. So we talked about in our brokenness, we realize we need a Savior. We all have some memory of that, that cry in which he responded he brought us into this place of freedom. Paul says, when he says stand, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a warfare statement. Right? Stand in that. And um, so he's brought you into this place of rest. He's, you know, he's given us permission, no condemnation, condemnation. Slow down, rest, receive. And why? Because... He loves us, but he also loves the person next to us in front of us just as passionately as he loves us. And we begin to get his eyes for those around us. And if we don't have that, discipleship making is just another project. We heard this preached a few weeks ago that the, the foundation of anything we talk about in regards to, in regards to, if you will, ministry or kingdom is compassion. So compassion, we're... Nice try, but it'll be burdensome. But with compassion, there's life, and you'll see change. Loving others as Jesus loved us is how we need to reimagine. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all people. By the way, this morning in my prayer time, this is a little, let me pull this one in quickly. It seemed to me that the Lord was saying to me, Wayne, when I say go, that's an invitation to come with me. Go is not, okay, do it, go. 
Go, come with me and follow me. I'm with you always. Go is an invitation. It is about leaving a place, but we're going with someone. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples, he says, and teach them everything I have taught you. And what has he taught you? What has he taught everyone? What does he say all scripture points? What's, what's, what are the law and the prophets? What's it all hang on? Remember that? Who wants to just give it a go? He, he just like, okay, if you want to just remember everything I teach you, what's it all hang on? Love, God, all your hearts, all my strength, and Love. Short form. Love. Love. That's the, you know, so, but teach them everything I have taught you. So we're, we're coming from a place of experience. Like how has that landed in your life? You get to share that. And, and it, it, it will be shared as life on life resonating from this heart that God's given you for the person that's in front of you. Not about whether you're doing it right or wrong. Just give it away. You have it. Give that away. So, going and making disciples is Jesus asking us to go and be present with others in the same compassionate, merciful way he has been present to you. So ponder that. Own it and give it away. You know, so think of discipleship. Get rid of the the 12-week discipleship program. Just kill that picture, okay? Think of discipleship as two sides of the same coin. When you are compassionately present to the person next to you, you are either discipling that person towards Christ or discipling them in Christ. You're always discipling. You're calling people towards Jesus or to continue in their journey with Jesus. Discipling is a way of life. It's a way of just living out what you know to be true. And you see it as really good news. So you're free to find rest as a son-daughter. You're free to slow down to the pace of relationship. And I'll say that again. Slowing down to the pace of relationship. takes time. Slow down to that pace of conversation. You don't, I mean, conversation, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Slow down to the pace of relationship, loving others as you've been loved. Um, walk away from this. Just, God, remind me how you see me. See this as the most important training you will ever need with regards to this call to go and make disciples. Asking the Father, will you remind me again or bring it to me in fresh words or language or like just, you you know what? Dad knows how distracted we are by the lies all around us and he knows that the importance of us coming to him as kids is like, you know, it's not that I'm forgetful but I'm now confused again. He knows. He understands that. Say, God, would you once again talk to me about how delighted you are in me? How you see me? From that, I can do it again. I can go from that place.
So some, you know, just a, some, some thoughts that might be going on this morning is, you know, just thinking about how he has, re- he has truly rescued you from and set you free from worry and from anxiety and fear. That doesn't mean we battle those things, but we have been rescued from that and we're being rescued from that. And it's, a, it's something that we, we just realize over time that stuff, yeah, it's still present, but it's not as present as it once was, right? So that's, that's the incredible, you know, to be that free, I'll, I'll use a, a term. I won't, the term itself is confusing because language changes over the centuries. So I won't, I won't even try to, to use the actual word that was introduced about uh, three, four hundred years ago. But I'll just say what the definition is. It was regards to in, what they called interior freedom. And you know, a real simple definition of that word was grateful availability. So from, the, from this place of gratitude, I'm, I'm free to be available to just to, to do what I sense the Lord's calling me to do. I'm available. And I think the ultimate picture of grateful availability is Jesus himself who said, I only do, remember? I only say. That's, that's, the, that's the pure picture of grateful availability. He was always available to be interrupted, yeah. Yeah, when do we start discipling people? From our first conversation with them, when there was a sense of some connection, and you know, that's, that's where it begins. It, it just continues with that. Um, I think I'll finish with this, and then, is that okay? Um, Okay, I'm not going to do a bio on Jackie Pollinger, but she might be a name familiar to some of you, and she's been kind of doing the missionary thing for a whole bunch of years. She's now in her mid-70s, and she, I just read this interview a few days ago with her, and she hates giving interviews, so i I got to read this interview. And, and I, I don't know if anyone, any of you happen to see it floating around and read through it, but what, you know, so this is the story of this young girl. She's a teenager at a 10-pound note and got on a boat and said, God, wherever you want me to get off, I'll get off. And so it happened to be Hong Kong and crazy story, huh? And, um, and then they, the interviewer asked, you're going you're to be speaking at this conference. What, I'm curious, what are you going to be speaking on? She says, I only have one message. And here's what she said. My message is always the same. It's how to get us sure enough of God's love so we can go out and share it with the lost. If we are sure enough of God's love, then the rest of it is just, it flows from that. Having, and then she says, having tasted of his love, all I wanted to do is share it until the day I die. It's a very uncomplicated understanding, but I think there's something really poignant about that from a seasoned veteran in doing this kind of stuff. It comes from the being sure of love. Hi.
Chris, did you want to come up and just uh, what I what I was you know just praying about this morning? I just thought, can we do something as simple as turn to one another and bless one one another in the reality that you are a child, you are His child. Could we perhaps do that just in a real simple mm-hmm. way? Just to, to say, I, I bless you as his child.